Good morning. It is great to be with you all again. Favorite day of the week. When we see God run, we see the parable of the prodigal son. That's the, bi- the biography of me. <laughs> and I'm sure many in this room. Every single person in this room is the prodigal son, the prodigal daughter. If you're watching online or in the overflow, I pray that the Spirit of God just will speak through me here this morning so we can hear what Jesus would have this church here. If you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, this can be your story this morning as well. That's my hope. That's my prayer. You can have a resurrection story just like our Savior did. And because of our Savior's resurrection, you can have a resurrection. Mark 14, 31 was the verse of the week. But Peter said emphatically, If I must die with you, Jesus, I will not deny you. And then Mark records that every single one of the other disciples said the same thing. At the end of the skit, hopefully you saw when Cale lifted Jaden's head and drew her to himself. Just remember that. That'll come in a little later here. Anyone ever hear the saying, the road to hell is paved with good intentions? Anyone ever hear that? A few of you? Awesome. <laughs> it's stated that in the mid-1100s, this French guy, Abbot Bernard of Clairvaux, you know, I'm sorry, I should say it more French, Abbot Bernard of Clairvaux, <laughs> got to laugh with a French laugh too, got to sound a little more hoity-toity. Well, there's a couple things with this. We see this from Peter today. He had a real good intention. I mean, he says it out loud. Even if I must die with you, Jesus, I will not deny you. Does Jesus ever exaggerate? Does Jesus ever push the envelopes just to see how we're going to respond? Does he ever put us in a hypothetical? Does Jesus ever lie? We're going to see from the text that Jesus says everything that is true. Because John 14, 6 says, Jesus' own words, I am the way, capital W, the only way. I am the truth, capital T. And I am the life, capital L. No one comes to the Father but through me. We're going to be in two different passages in Mark 14 this morning, so um, I'm going to ask you, if it's cool, just to stand with me as we read God's Word. Mark 14, 27 through 31. And Jesus said to them, the disciples, You will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, 
this very night. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And here's our guy, Peter. He said emphatically, lots of exclamation points, right? If I must die with you, Jesus, I will not deny you. And all the disciples joined in because they don't want to be left out. You can be seated, thanks. People who want to believe and believe that they believe that they're doing good can end up actually doing bad. And that's the law of unintended consequences. And the second point is to this road to hell was paved with good intentions. There's no value in simply planning to do good if you don't actually do it. So let's take a, just a kind of overview of Peter here. Who is Peter? He's kind of a headstrong, reckless guy we see. And he's prone to kind of lose his temper, fly off the handle. Kind of like James and John, they were called sons of thunder because of their anger. He's impulsive, he's ambitious, he's self-assertive, he's quick to commit without fully understanding what he's jumping into. And we see that in verse 31 here. We're going to take a quick look at Peter here. And I got some of these from a site called brokenbeliever.com. And it really fit with what we're going to be going through today. So we're looking at Peter, the magnificent failure. The magnificent failure. We see Peter the bold. Matthew 14, 28 and 29. Disciples are caught in a terrible storm. Fourth watch of the night, so it's between 3 to 6 a.m., and they see Jesus walking on the water during the storm, and Peter says, Lord, if that's you, call me to you so I can walk to you. And Jesus is like, yeah, come on out. <laughs> Peter is the second person in this world only to be able to walk on water, even just for a couple steps. Yeah, Peter the fisherman, right before that, Jesus calls Peter and Andrew and immediately leave everything and they latch on and they follow Jesus. Then you got Peter the confessor. Matthew 16, 15 and 16, he is the first disciple handpicked by Jesus of the 12 to acknowledge Jesus as the promised Messiah, the Son of the living God. We see Peter the witness. Matthew 17, 1 through 4. Peter was part of Jesus' inner circle. You had the 12, and then Jesus spent a little bit more time with three guys, Peter, James, and John. And they get firsthand witness, eyewitness, of Jesus doing some really miraculous things. One of those is Jesus' transfiguration. If that wasn't enough to just be able to experience that in and of itself, there's a bonus. They saw Moses and Elijah <laughs> talking with Jesus at that same moment. They see Jesus raise Jairus' daughter from the dead. And then being with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane that we looked at last week. Then we got Peter the bragger. 
Mark 14, 31a, our verse of the week. Even if I must die with you, Jesus, I will not deny you. And then we see Jesus getting arrested. And Peter followed those arresting Jesus into the courtyard of the temple. That's where Peter denies Jesus three times, just as Jesus prophesied, predicted, promised. Jesus gives people a heads up. We see that throughout the Gospels. He gives them warnings. And he lets them know that they're in a coming fight here. Jesus prophesies to his disciples that they will desert him. You guys are going to take off. You will not be, you won't be with me. You won't be clinging to me. You won't be there with me. You guys are going to leave me. And he tells Peter specifically, you're going to deny me three times. It's quick to judge Peter. It's quick to place Sunday evening quarterback from a church service where we read about Peter. And we see, if we look closely enough, we'll see ourselves in Peter. Peter is determined in his own strength and in his own heart. He's going to use his own power to remain true to Jesus. Oh, how many times I've done that. (laughs) Otherwise, if Peter hadn't done this, I'd expect to see Peter ask Jesus, Wow, Lord, thank you for this. How can I remain true to you? He doesn't ask that. So Jesus gives a come-to-Jesus moment. (laughs) A call to action. This is a call to action to Peter. Peter, get your tail in the game. You have no idea what's going on. Everything I've talked to you about is to prepare you for this night. And Peter's still sitting there. Lord, even if I have to die with you, and he has no idea what he is saying, I will never deny you. Here's the fight that Jesus is preparing Peter for. Luke 22, 31 through 33. This is another account. And I love the different perspectives that you see in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If it were all the same, it can't be. You got different people in the same situation seeing and hearing a whole different side of the story that someone else may not have heard. And for God to give us a more complete picture, what a gift. And here's what we see to, uh, Jesus saying to Peter in Luke 22, 31 through 33. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, when you have repented, strengthen your brothers. Encourage them in this same fight. What does Peter say? Lord, I'm ready to go with you to both prison and to death. This is one of the first come to Jesus moments recorded that Jesus gives Peter a glimpse into the spiritual realm. Satan demands Jesus 
to let him violently shake not only Peter, but the 11 other disciples. One of them, he got Judas. What this shows us is how much the enemy, how much Satan truly hates us. Anything, everything that God has created, Satan hates with a passion. He's going to Jesus demanding that he hand over his most prized creation, made in his own image. Jesus, they're a lost cause. They're not worth saving. They turn their backs on you, not just once, but continually at every moment they get. And you're, you're really going to go to Calvary for these that hate you? Jesus says, yeah. These accusations are correct. <laughs> Satan's not lying. I'm guilty of every single one of those. But God. Here's the but God. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the way back to God, guys, every single time. Repentance. It's Satan's Achilles heel. If he can get you to not repent, he's got you. If he can keep you in your pride and your arrogance against God, he's got you. Because what got Satan kicked out of heaven? His pride, his arrogance, his I will statements, I will be like the Most High. I will be seated above the Most High. I will, I will, I will. And a third of the angels believed him. A created being, defiant to his creator. This is pretty cool. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Russ went through John 17. Jesus has prayed for them. He's prayed for the disciples. That their faith may not completely fail, that they'll repent and see them strengthening one another in a continual spiritual warfare fight. We see this in Luke 22. And in John 17, Jesus not only prays for them right there at that situation, he prays for us. He's prayed for us in this very moment, folks, right here at 1048 a.m. on March 19th, 2023, Jesus prayed for us. Amen? That is amazing. He prayed for you. Maybe Peter should have taken a step back and not responded right away and let the words of Jesus rock him to his very soul. Rock him into the spiritual realm that Jesus is inviting him to get a glimpse of. But instead of taking Jesus' words to heart, essentially... Peter tells Jesus he's wrong. No, you got me pegged wrong, Jesus. I'm stronger than that. He misses Jesus' point completely. How many times have I missed Jesus' point that he's trying to teach to me in my life? 
He's trying to, trying to draw Peter into the spiritual realm where people like Peter, you and me, we're fighting that continual spiritual battle from the moment we take our first breath. Many times completely unaware of this battle that we're in, trying to fight from our own strength and our own knowledge and our own wisdom, which will ensure us and guarantee us this. Failure 100% of the time. How do we not fail? Ephesians 6, 10 through 20, Paul tells us of the amazing gift the moment we receive Jesus as our Savior. Jesus doesn't say, hey, congrats, welcome to the kingdom club. Good luck, see you in heaven. No. He's merciful. He's good. He's loving. He prepares us. He gives us the gift of his word. He gives us the gift of his spirit. He gives us the gift of his people to help us along the fight. And he gives us his armor. He tells us what to put on, how to put on, and to put it on in its entirety. He says that twice in Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. And then he says, you don't have to fight on your own strength. The moment you acknowledge that you are weak, that's when I'll make you strong. Put me on. Put on my armor. Fight with the sword of the Spirit, which is the very word of God. Don't fight for victory. Dave, you fight from victory. Because I've already won that battle on the cross. I've already sealed Satan's doom with that glorious empty tomb, he defeated sin, death, Satan, hell. Amen? We don't have to try. If you don't mind, stand once again with me as I read our second passage here. Mark 14, 66 through 72. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with that Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed, number one. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man's one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And Peter broke down and wept. Thank you. You can have a seat. We're going to look at a couple different accounts here. First one in John. John 18, 26. You got the servant of the high priest. Well, first, let's go back to the Garden of Gethsemane real quick. Y'all remember the story, the part of the account where Peter draws his sword out, attacks a guy, gets his ear, and Van Gogh's him right there in the garden? 
cuts off his ear. Anyone remember hearing that one? Check this out. In Luke, I'm sorry, in John 18, 26, a servant of the high priest who was a relative of the guy whose ear was cut off by Peter, and he was in the garden, this servant of the high priest, this, the, the earless guy's relative, where they arrested Jesus, saw Peter in the garden and asked him, did I not see you in the garden with him? <laughs> Some guy's ear getting cut off with a sword, and then the guy that they're arresting grabs that ear, miraculously heals it, reattaches it. And that guy who had his ear cut off, he's your relative. So that situation kind of stands out, right? And you see the guy that did the cutting off of your relative's ear, and you're like, I saw you in the garden. There's an eyewitness. Doesn't matter. Peter lies and denies it, because when you are so far in, you're in it to win it. You're too far into the lie to back out now. And yet alone, it's this relative of the guy that you assaulted. <laughs> uh, that could get me in trouble if I come clean now. Uh, nope, wasn't me. Let's look at Luke's account. Yeah, verse 57, first denial to the servant girl in the courtyard. Verse 58, second denial to a man in the courtyard. Verse 60, the third denial to another man in the courtyard. Rooster crows, but someone catches Peter's eye. Peter and Jesus lock eyes in this account. They're within seeing distance. They're within hearing distance. Peter locks eyes with Jesus. Jesus' words just hours before, I'm sure, just came flooding back. Invading Peter's heart, his mind, and his soul. Before the rooster crows twice today, you will deny me three times. And the words that Peter impulsively spoke in haste come back even harder. Even if I have to die with you, Jesus, I will not deny you. Instant shame. Remember when Kale and Jaden locked eyes and he lifted her head? How many times have our past sins, even ones here in the present, in the moment, come back to haunt us? bringing that instant shame and that guilt. A friend of mine, a good friend of mine I was in a band with in the early 90s, he wrote a song. This song makes me lose it every time I think of it because he encapsulated the whole feeling of Peter, of us, of me, when I sin and the devil comes and throws his fingers in my face and throws every true, every accurate accusation at me. The song's called Because of Me. Oh, I feel the sting. A voice cries from the hollow of my soul. For I was a partner in the kiss 
I witnessed all the things you did. I heard your voice that day. I swore a vow and then I turned away. I know you hang because of me. The crowds mock you because of me. I hear that hammer. It pounds out my name. One more blow because of me. And who, who am I to place blame or criticize the saints that lose their way? For I should own, should own those cold, hard nails. I play the thief on either side. I curse you, then I pray. <laughs> I plead my life, and then I turn away. I know you hang because of me. The crowds mock you because of me. I hear the hammer. It pounds out my name. One more blow because of me. Is this where we're left? There's a way out. There's always a way out with Jesus. The only, the only time when there's not a way out is if we don't allow Jesus to get us out. If we don't repent, if we don't allow that shame and that guilt to drive us to our knees, to drive us to that bottom of the barrel place, bottom of the gutter saying, I got nothing left, God. I got nothing left. If you are real, help me. If you are real, save me. And he does. He doesn't want you to say a particular phrase. He doesn't want you to say things in a particular order. What did the thief on the cross say? Right after the other one was cursing, mocking Jesus, the other one says, shut your mouth. This man has done nothing deserving of death. And as he's dying on that cross, he looks at Jesus and he says, remember me in your kingdom. Did he say to the centurions, I promise I'll get back up here. Just let me go get some good clothes on, get washed up, get baptized. Let me get my life in order. No. Jesus took him as he was. Because Jesus is omniscient, he's omnipresent, and he's omnipotent. The omniscient, he knew the thief's heart. He knew the repentance in that statement that he had. So is this the end of the story for Peter? No. <laughs> Thank God, no. It's not the end of the story for us either. We might be thinking, Dave, what about the shame and guilt, man? What about the denying Jesus? Is that like a death sentence for us? Isn't there a whole thing about blaspheming the Holy Spirit? That's an unforgivable sin. Isn't suicide the unforgivable sin? Rejecting Jesus, not receiving his gift of, of salvation, forgiveness, redemption, justification, eternal life. Rejecting Jesus, his work on the cross, and sealed by that glorious, victorious, empty tomb is all you need. This is our lifeline. It's always been interesting to me on how some terms get a negative connotation. 
Anyone here familiar with the word jealous, jealousy? I see a bunch of nodding heads. We saw it in one of the signs here, jealousy, on the, on the, uh, in the skit here. Some of you might know the name Oprah Winfrey, the billionaire Chicago lady. She's done amazing things with her life and with her career. One of her biggest slip-ups, which now she has the biggest online New Age church that there is. Millions and millions of people tune in for Oprah Winfrey's online New Age demonic church service. She teaches that you are your own God. And all this started is because when she grew up in the Baptist church, when she was young, she heard the pastor say that God is a jealous God. Automatically, up oh, jealous, he's jealous of me. God is jealous of me. And if God's jealous of me, I don't want anything to do with the God that's jealous of me. If she would have listened more carefully and maybe gone up and asked her pastor some more questions after that, I'm sure he would have explained, no, God is jealous for you. That is one of the traits of God. He is a jealous God. Exodus 20, verses 5 and 6, You shall not bow down to them or serve them. The Lord is talking right here. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. He is jealous for us. He is jealous for our affections. October 13th, 2001, my wife and I stood in the church gave our vows to each other, lifelong vows in front of God, to God, in front of our friends and family. And there we vowed for each other to be jealous for each other's affections and each other's affections only. Is that a wrong thing? Absolutely not. So, did you know that guilt and shame can actually be a gift from the Lord? <laughs> it's true. Mark Larson last week, he talked a little bit about shame, and he was 100% accurate when he said, when the enemy uses shame to attack you, your identity, your, your position in Jesus Christ, we are commanded, as we're under the authority of Jesus, to use the authority of Jesus and rebuke him and send that stuff flying right back in his face and make Jesus make, and have Jesus make him eat it. We are to rebuke him. We are to tell him to flee from us. And you know what the beautiful thing is? When we're under the authority of Jesus, using the authority of Jesus, doing what he's commanded us to do, the devil must flee. Not because of our strength. <laughs> Check out the book of Acts, the, son of Sceva, the sons of Sceva that went out trying to be demon hunters in their own strength. They got their clothes stripped off them and they got the garbage beat out of them by demons. But when we are under the authority of Jesus, using the authority of Jesus of what he's commanded us to do to get the enemy to leave us alone and stop that father of lies from distracting us, depressing us, we're to send it right back at him. And, and I rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ, Satan, and in the power of his shed blood. 
I cast you off out away from me and my family, my loved ones, even my dog. And I send you to the pit, wherever Jesus Christ would have you go, and you must go. And you know what? He goes. He goes. Praise God. However, if we experience shame and guilt as a result of our sin, breaking God's holy laws, grieving his spirit, it must lead us to repentance. Jesus uses guilt, remorse, shame, and sorrow to bring out the first step in reconciliation with God, repentance. So the difference between guilt and shame, guilt is a position. When you go to court, you're one of two things. You're guilty or you're innocent. Shame is an emotion. And if we live in submission to the Holy Spirit, he will use that to lead us to godly repentance. If you're not familiar with Romans 1, read it sometime soon. You'll see what's happening to our world and our culture. It's following Romans 1. It's getting more and more demonic, more and more debased, more and more anti-God. But God, God is directing all this for his honor, for his glory, for our heavenly benefit. But you see a negative connotation used by someone that some of you might know. Her name is Demi Lovato, former child star of Disney. She's gone from being straight to claiming to be gay to both in between to now she's saying she's non-binary. She's neither male nor female. Now she's just non-binary. She's the Netherland gender. And her little catchphrase is shame is joy interrupted. Aren't we supposed to deserve unending joy doing whatever we want to do? living in our own strength and our own lusts and our own flesh. She is one of the most miserable people, self-admittedly. She's been in rehab numerous times, struggled with suicide numerous times. Where's your unending joy, Demi? You missed it. He's right in front of you. His name is Jesus, the one you keep denying. And isn't that just like the enemy to try and hijack what Jesus uses for correction and discipline and reconciliation back to him? Psalm 51.17 says, The sacrifice you desire, God, is a broken spirit. You will not reject the broken and repentant heart, O God. Don't let our enemy, don't let our adversary drown you in the lie that all is lost, that you have no hope. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy anything that God has put in you. But there is, there is hope, guys. And his name is Jesus. His very name means hope. You will call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Let this remorse lead you to repentance. Let's go back to Peter real quick. The magnificent failure. But now he's restored. 
Luke 5, Jesus tells Peter as he's first kind of making the first connection here. Tells Peter, hey, Mr. Fisherman, Mr. Lifelong Fisherman, I'm going, to tell him, I'm going to come and tell you how to do your job. Throw that net into the deep, even though you've been doing it for hours. Jesus, stand there. Peter must kind of humor him. Throws it. Oh, my word. Net's breaking so much fish. There's one bookend. Now go to the other one, John 21. Jesus tells his disciples to put their nets on the other side of the boat, and he does this from shore. Resurrected Jesus. They've been fishing all night. They haven't caught a thing. Wouldn't this maybe put something in Peter's mind? Hey, wait. A little deja vu here, man. This guy's telling me to do my job. I think I recognize that voice. The fish obey their creator in both instances. Becoming the provision that Jesus is giving to his disciples. And his teaching to them, his living it out teaching that you can trust me to provide for you. You can trust me that when I ask you and tell you something, it is true. All the while he's drawing them to himself. Quick question for you. Do you believe that Jesus will bring the work he's begun in you, Christian, to completion? Do you think he needs your help? Many times I'm like, okay, Jesus, you're not doing this fast enough for me, so I'm going to grease these skids here a little bit for you. And then I slip on the same grease that I'm trying to put down that he gets it to me quicker. And all I do is most of the time delay the process. But God, (laughs) he's rich in mercy. Non-Christian, do you believe that your creator created you, that he loves you? That he created you to have the most intimate relationship one-on-one that you could ever imagine? And like the sign said out here one time, that God and Jesus, the Holy Spirit, that Trinity, Godhead, loves you more in one moment than any human being could ever love you in your whole life. Do you believe that? Today is the day for your salvation. A couple more points on Peter here. Peter the repentant. John 21, 15 through 17, verse 17b. Peter was grieved because Jesus had said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to Jesus, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Yeah. He's talking the truth. He knew that Jesus knew his heart. There was repentance in Peter's heart. Jesus asked him that three times to restore him for the three times that he had denied him. We see Peter the unfiltered. John 21, 21. (laughs) Right after, Jesus restores him. Now this is classic Dave here, okay? Right after Jesus restores him, Jesus says, now here's the kind of death. Gives him just a little glimpse into the death that Peter's going to be experiencing. Peter hears it. Looks at John. Well, what about him? (laughs) I could just imagine Jesus just being like... (sighs) Because what does Jesus say? If it's my will that John remains until I come, what is that to you? 
you follow me. He's refocusing Peter. He's like, don't worry about John. Don't worry about James. Don't worry about Philip. You worry about Peter. And if I were there, I'd just look at Peter and say, dude, he just restored you. And you said that stupid thing. And Jesus would look at me and say, no, don't worry about Peter. You follow me. (laughs) We're to concentrate on our own life on our own calling, what Jesus has called us to do. And we're going to encourage others, our brothers, our sisters in the Lord. When we see them struggling, when we see them in conflict, we are to restore them and restore them gently. We're to encourage them. We're to speak words of life. Jesus is still going after lost sheep, guys. And I see this in the last one. Peter the Committed. Read the book of Acts. You'll see a whole new Peter without Jesus being right there by his side. It's a whole new Peter. Yeah, he still makes mistakes. But it's a whole new Peter. And as I close, I'm just going to read the chorus to this song one more time. And then he ran to me took me in his arms, held my head to his chest, and my sons, my daughters, come home again, lifted my face, wiped the tears from my eyes. With forgiveness in his voice, he said, son, he said, daughter, do you know that I love you? He caught me by surprise when God ran. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray this somehow made sense today. Thank you for letting us see the ugly side of human beings. Thank you for letting us see the ugly side of ourselves that you have come to redeem. We love you, Jesus. We need you. I pray if there's anyone here this morning that does not know you as Savior, that they just admit, acknowledge that they are a sinner and they repent and they confess their sins because you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then believe that you died on the cross for them, Jesus, and you rose again from the dead, just as promised. And then they call upon the name of the Lord. Jesus is my Savior. He is Lord of my life. He is my Savior. They will be saved. If they have any questions, I pray that they come up to the prayer teams on either side or to Pastor Russ, to me, one of the elders here, God. We will lead them home to you. Thank you, Jesus, for your forgiveness, your grace and mercy on us. We love you. In your name, amen.